Well, church, would you grab your Bibles and would you open them to Mark chapter 2? Real excited to get into our text today. It's, uh, it's going to be a little different in this. Um, this is a call to action sermon, uh, though it's ex- expositional. Uh, I'm going to ask you to do at least uh, four different things at the end of this message that you would join in with the rest of the church and, and, and really kind of four action steps. So we'll, we'll get there pretty quickly so you'll know that we're towards the end of the message when I get to those four steps. Um, man, this is a great week for us to celebrate what we're thankful for, what we're thankful for. And uh, I know this week you're thinking about that. Some of you are thinking about that with great anticipation and you're excited about who's going to be around the table. I, I know for others, uh, it brings a little bit of grief and sorrow at the same time because you're thinking maybe who's not at the table. And, and so we want to be considerate of you and, and, and thankful that God gives you grace in that time. But this is a time to be thankful. And yesterday, our church expressed great love and care and concern for those who need help. We had 150 people pack uh, lunches and dinners for over 1,000 people. And yesterday, people came to our church parking lot that we got to pray with, connect with, and hopefully begin relationships with and friendships with to see them come to know Jesus. And in the conversations, we saw at least eight people come to Jesus yesterday in our Thanksgiving outreach. So praise God for that. So, in the keeping with the theme of Thanksgiving, thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. When you give on the Lord's Day, you help make things like yesterday possible that we could feed so many people and love them. You know, our heart in this is not just one meal and then see you. We're wanting to follow up and we'll continue to follow up. So, thank all of you who served yesterday as well. Um, Thinking about a Thanksgiving meal, there was a guy who threw one. It wasn't called a Thanksgiving meal, but it was a meal. It was a celebration. His name is Levi. And he's found here in this text of Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Do you mind standing up and let's read this text? And then I want us to think while we're reading this text and while I'm going through this sermon, what can we do that's like Levi? What can we do that's like Levi? Levi did something pretty special. He actually threw the first evangelistic event. It was a supper in honor of Christ in order to win his friends to Jesus. So don't you think about that with me as we look at Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And Jesus, he went out beside the sea. Now, he did this because so many people were coming to him. He had to be outside preaching. All the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them, verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. This is absolutely stunning and shocking because the one he's calling is a surprise call. It's stunning because this man leaves everything to follow Jesus. It's just as it appears. He just drops everything and follows Jesus. Verse 15, and as he reclined at the table in his house. They pause here. In the Greek, there's the uh, understanding that we're moving from one scene to another, but they're related. So God calls Levi. Levi follows. 
Now Jesus is at Levi's house having a meal. We know this from the gospel according to Luke. Both Matthew and Luke also record this event. Very important event where Levi then throws a party, throws a celebration in light of his conversion and wants all of his friends to know this Jesus whom he has come to know. So look at this, many tax collectors, okay? This house is full of tax collectors and sinners. They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, that is Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They are clueless. They have no idea what Jesus has come to do. So when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, simple, get it, understand it. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? And uh, as we join to pray, Buck, I see you out there. Let's, Let's pray for Buck, our friend. God, I thank you for your opportunity that you provided us to be in the house of the Lord, to come together, to think through this text together, and then, Lord, to obey it. Uh, God, I thank you that Buck's here, the fellowship we have around Christ. Help him in his heart. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity we get to serve you today. May we take steps, not just listen, not just be good intended, but, Lord, we will be faithful and obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are about to celebrate Thanksgiving, as I mentioned earlier, that we are looking forward to this season. Uh, The first Thanksgiving, as you well know, took place 1621 in October. You know kind of the surroundings. We have this idea that the pilgrims got together and had popcorn and turkey, but most likely they didn't have a meal like we're going to have. They had a lot of stuff. They had fish, cod, swordfish. Um, They had uh, all types of birds. They did have turkey for sure. They had chickens. They had eagle. Probably not at your supper table this week, at least we hope, or we'll visit you in prison. Uh, they had venison. They had, uh, they had all types of fruits, some, some grains. You know what they didn't have? Um, they didn't have pumpkin pie. They didn't have sugar at that time, so they didn't even have pecan pie. Come on. I feel sorry for them, don't y'all? Uh, they didn't have ham because they didn't have pigs. But they did have a celebration, and why? Because they wanted to give God thanks. God had brought them through, you know, this terrible winter where they lost so many people. And so as they sat around the table, it wasn't what was on the table that they were giving thanks for, but what God had done for them. They were giving thanks to God for who was there. They were giving thanks for who was not there. Because they knew where they were. When Matthew... Levi is also called Matthew. Sometimes I'll refer to him today as Levi, sometimes Matthew, and for good reason. When Matthew, Levi, throws a party, we don't read about what was on the menu, but about the men and women who were at the table. And that's what's important. So as I, I'm going to give you four action steps. I want you to not think so much about what was going on at the party, but who was there and why they were there. To begin with, number one, I want you to see this. Jesus calls Levi to follow him, and this is 
quite shocking for sure. Jesus is going to show us how important it is to open our homes and open our church to people who are absolutely, we put it this way, far from God, you know, but we were all far from God. There wasn't one of us close to God. I don't care if you were born in the church, went to nursery nine months before you were born, you weren't close to God until God saved you. So sometimes when we say things like this, hey, uh, man, that guy's far from God. We were all far from God. We were all dead in trespasses and in sin. And then sometimes I'll say things like this, hey, if you're truly saved, and then every once in a while someone will say, what do you mean truly saved? There's only one way to be saved, and saved is truly, and so that's redundant. Yeah, I know, it is, but you know what I mean. There's some people who think they're saved, and they are not saved. They are still far from God. So you can be in church, religious, think you're saved, and still far from God. So here it is that this man's far from God, and God, through Jesus Christ, calls him not only to follow Jesus, but this brother's going to become an apostle. So read in verse 13. Jesus went by the sea. Crowds were following him. Jesus, among the crowds, sees this man, Levi, son of Alphaeus, which tells us his dad was somewhat known most likely known because of a good reputation. And Levi was known for a bad reputation. This is a surprising pick for Jesus. I mean, here Jesus is assembling his team. He's gone to the draft portal. And he's bringing people onto his team. You would think he would bring the most pious, well-lived and moral people, but he calls a guy who's an outcast in society. Do you know who Benedict Arnold is in history? You do because he is the, he's the traitor. And when someone uh, commits treason or traitor, we call them a Benedict Arnold. You know, he tried to sell West Point to the British. Long story, got caught, and now we, his name lives in infamy, right? Well, Levi was a Benedict Arnold. Uh, he was a man who sold out his own people for his wealth, like it, the, the line his pockets. He took, he took taxes, not for the betterment of the Jewish society and his brothers and sisters, but he took taxes for the betterment of his own life, to build a bigger house, have more stuff. He was willing to turn his back on his own nation to get rich. That's what kind of guy he is. Everybody knew it. I mean, his corruption wasn't secret. It didn't come out all of a sudden on Twitter or X or whatever. Everybody knew this guy sold out his country, so he was an outcast. It's surprising then that Jesus would call him to be part of his inner circle. However, it is surprising that God would call any of us to be his disciple. Bucky, you said it yesterday, I'm better than I deserve. Which one of us deserve to be with Jesus? Which one of us deserve to be called a child of God? So here he is, a man outcast in society, but also seemingly a disgrace to his family. Look at this guy. His name is Levi. Levi indicates that he is from a Levite family, a Levitical family, a family that was chosen by God in order to represent the Lord and to serve his people, the Jews, Israel. This guy, Levi, has turned his back on his religion and his call. His name is Matthew as well. He's got two names. Matthew means gift to God, gift to God. This guy's not a giver. He's a taker. He's not a gift to God. He's not a gift to anybody. He only cares about what he gets. 
So therefore, Alphaeus' dad probably could be at a party and someone say, hey man, how's Matthew doing? How's Levi doing? And uh, his dad, well, he's doing okay. And he would change the subject real quick. He's become a disgrace to his family. He's a prodigal. And he has prodigal friends and he's a prodigal in worship. He doesn't go to church. He can't go to church. He can't even go to the synagogue because of what he does. So he doesn't go to church at all. So you see what's going on here. He's a prodigal. He's far from God. Do you, do you have any prodigal family members? Do you have family members that don't want to hear anything about God? They don't want to hear about your walk with God. They don't want to hear about your relationship with Christ. They don't want to have anything to do with your Jesus. Do you, does anybody have any friends like that or family like that? So this is Levi. Like he, His parents probably pray for him regularly, and he is a prodigal far from God. I love the story of the prodigal son. You know that story, don't you? If you've never heard it, read it, Luke 15, because it's where Jesus is telling the religious people that he's going after the lost, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then he talks about a lost son. This lost son who took his money, his inheritance early from his dad before his dad died, took his inheritance, went to the far country, spent it in riotous living with all types of parties and women, and then after he spent everything, was then in want, and then he had no friends, so he ends up in a pig pen eating the pig food. Could you imagine? And he comes to himself. I mean, you would think at that point, yeah, you would come to yourself because if you're eating pig food in pig slop, you know, if I just go back to dad, maybe he'll give me a handout. So he left the filth to go back to his dad. It was a picture of God welcoming the sinner who comes in repentance. The prodigal leaves his filth. We get that. But this is a prodigal Levi that leaves his wealth. He's not only a tax collector. What does this mean? It means that he collects customs from those who work in the region for the Roman government who's oppressing the Jews. Not only does he collect customs, taxes from his own countrymen for another nation that oppresses them, He's able to take more for his own benefit and skim off the top whatever else he collects. He lives and he works and he collects in a fishing community. So could you imagine Peter, James, John, they're the fishermen that are following Jesus and they hear, hey, we got another follower. Great, who is it? Levi. That snake, he's robbed us all our life. Jesus. Can we have a conversation here? This guy is absolutely a surprising pick. Do y'all follow this? So am I. So are you. All of us are far from God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And he has blessed us in the blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Like, what does that text say we were chosen for and why? Because he wanted to. Not because we were wanted, but because he wanted to. 
You, you may be the lost coin today, the lost sheep, the lost one who's far from God. You might even be the prodigal today. You might be the one your parents are praying for to come back, to get right. There's a God who, who can make you right, and He loves you. And there is nobody born but that they're far from God. It's a surprising conversion. All of them are. It takes just as much blood to save a child at six as it does a hardened criminal at 66. Jesus died for sin. I had a lady yesterday tell me, yeah, there are some sins God will not forgive. No, there are not. Because all sin is evil before God's sight. I was a youth pastor in East Dublin, Georgia, a little East Dublin Baptist Church in Dublin, Georgia, and uh, Young didn't really have a clue other than we're going to just lead as many kids to Christ as we can and try to disciple them. And so we had kids getting saved, and I stood in front of the kids, and I didn't know what to do, but I did this one deal, and I'm glad I did because it taught me a great lesson. I asked those students, hey, who in your schools do you know that so far from God they would never probably be saved? Like, it would shock you if they got saved. And you know, unanimously, they named one kid. And I said, okay, we're going to start praying for that kid. Now, I got to tell you, oh, ye of little faith, I didn't think that kid was going to get saved, all right? Because they explained to me that this kid was not only on drugs, but he sold drugs. Not only did he sell drugs, but he was a, he's like in a rock group, a hard rock group. And like, he hated God and everything about him was about Satan. I mean, he had the, he had the whole look. Back in the day, do y'all remember the hair bands? This kid looked like he came out of a hair band, all right? They went to his house. We're going to go to his house. We've been praying for him, Pastor Scott. We're going to go to his house. Okay. They go to his house. They ask him, can we talk to him? Yeah. He's in his room. They go back to his room. His room looks like, it's unbelievable. No bed in his bedroom, just a drum set. The drum set took up the entire room. Unbelievable. Never seen anything like it. Metallica, Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden posters everywhere. Kid, black hair, long hair just that far out look in his eyes. And one of the kids in that youth group had the gall, like the, had the gall to ask this kid, would you like to be saved? And the boy looked at him and said, yeah, I really would. Y'all, that kid became the drummer in our youth band. It taught me a lot. Taught me a lot. There are surprising conversions all around, but you know what? You are and I are surprising conversions. I think some of the most surprising conversions come out of church where religious people recognize that, yeah, I really am a sinner and in need of Jesus. There's some of you who have grown up in traditions where you've been taught that if you just do certain things, like you get baptized or you go to a class or you say the right things and you just do your best, do your best, be good, then you're going to be okay. It is harder for you probably to come to Christ than someone who comes out of a very dark, sinful situation. But we're just as equally in need of a heart transplant. So this man comes, and he's now part of the band. This is a surprise. Do you all know who Alistair Begg is? I, I love listening to Alistair Begg. He's a Presbyterian preacher, comes on Way Radio, and I listen to him pretty regularly. And I was listening to him one day, and I was just laughing my head off because he was talking about his church at Parkside, and he was, Parkside's in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was talking about how that they would sing the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I can hear old Levi singing that song. 
It's an old Bill Gaither song. You may have never heard it. If you've heard it, you sing it with me. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. Okay, that's good enough. Good. You got it. We am going any further. Take Carlos's place. Don't. Beg cracked me up because he said, we're going to start singing it this way. I'm so surprised you're part of the family of God. When you look around the table and you see who's seated at the table, you might be shocked. That's what's happening. Because secondly, I want you to see what Jesus does. He eats with sinners. Verse 15. And Jesus reclined at table in his house. And then look at this. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. This is more shocking than the call of Levi. Somehow Satan has got it in the minds of people that we have to be like the world to win the world. Jesus was so unlike the world. He was so unlike the world. I mean, Jesus was completely, absolutely holy, so separate from the world, and yet he attracted sinners. He did not have to become like the world to attract sinners. That speaks... Here are sinners at a house. I love how that Levi said, man, you guys got to come meet Jesus. This is a great celebration. By the way, just parenthetically, if you need to get baptized soon, this is a good lesson. This is a good, good sermon for you because you know a lot of people that don't know Christ who can come and be invited to your baptism and then go have a big party afterwards to celebrate your relationship with Christ. I think every time someone gets baptized, we ought to celebrate their relationship with Christ. Heaven's rejoicing, so do we. So here it is that Jesus is reclining. Now, then you find this, and I'm going to move to this point right here. The Pharisees are there as well. So you have the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? You have the disciples. You have the sinners. You have the publicans, other tax collectors. Sinners meaning just all types of sinners. They have missed the mark all types of ways. And you have Jesus, the only good one there. But you have the Pharisees. Who are they? Well, not just Pharisees, you have scribes of the Pharisees. The scribes were really particular about keeping the law of God. They had good intentions. Sometimes when you hear about the scribes of the Pharisees, you think immediately, ah, those people. Oh, man, those Pharisees. They were sometimes some of the most well-intended people you would meet. They were very devout. They, they fasted twice a week often. They cared for the poor. Um, at least some of them did. They had in their mind, they had to protect the law of God. They lived in a culture, a Greco-Roman culture, that was trying to squeeze out everything that was Jewish. I mean, if you go to the Holy Land today, you'll even see cities that look like Roman cities in the Holy Land, in Israel, because the Romans wanted the Jews to adopt the Patramana, be good Romans. Before them, the Greeks had done the same thing. So you had some very devout Jewish people who loved the law of God. And so we've got to protect it. We have to build a fence around it. They were doing that since the time of Ezra. And because they were doing that, they just went way too far. Good intentions, way too far. They made up 613 rules that were outside the Bible to keep you from breaking the law of God. Good intended, but then law after law after law. You know, this can happen even in Christian churches. Just twice this week I've been asked, do you preach out of the King James Version? No, I do not. I know what's behind that question. That person probably comes from a well-intended church that wants to protect the, the, 
the Word of God and what's to put a fence around the Word of God because there's a bunch of bad versions out there, y'all. There's a bunch of bad translations. There's a bunch of bad paraphrases. And some well-intended people will say there's only one version and we're going to stick to this version. But then that can become a law in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with the King James Version. I love it. I memorized it. But it's not the only translation of the English Bible that we need to use. What that can become is, is, is a sign of spirituality that's outward. I use the right Bible, therefore I'm right with God. It can be true of dress, of all types of rules that can be impressed on us, like legalism, and we got to be careful of that. Because where does God look, y'all? Where does God look? I need someone to say, this is like, uh, this is a good time to exchange right here. Where? He looks at the heart. Is God looking at your heart right now? He's looking at your heart. So here are these super tight, uptight guys, and they want to protect, but they are going way too far. And because they've gone too far, they are now really far from God. And they are critics of Jesus. Sneaky. Critics are always sneaky. You know, instead of going straight to Jesus and saying, Jesus, why do you hang around sinners? They go to his disciples. They pull his disciples off the little side meeting. Hey, what, what's up with Jesus? Why is he doing this? Why is he eating with sinners and publicans? Does he know what kind of people they are? Jesus hears them. And so then he says to them, listen, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. That's an easy, my third point. Look at verse 17. Jesus heard it. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came. Jesus said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. The reality is that they are all sinners. We're all equally depraved. We all are sinners before God, all dark and dead before God. None of us are right until we're saved. There's no sliding scale of depravity in the kingdom of God. We may not all be as evil as we could be, but we're all just as evil as we are told by the Bible we are. Sin, sin, sin. It pervades us all. You see that at the table, you had people probably that were there that were really, really, really bad people from, from a societal standpoint. Uh, traitors to their country, to their countrymen. Um, all types of evil activities. I mean, whispers about what they'd done and what they were involved in. There were probably people at that table that would say something like this to themselves in their heart. They would say, I'm so bad, there's no hope for me. I've done some things and there's just no hope. <laughs> and then old Levi would say, oh yeah, there is. Because if there's hope for me, there's hope for you. Come meet the one who has changed my life. At the table, there would have been people who probably thought, I'm so bad, there's no hope. But here's the, here's the worst part. Here's the worst part. There are also at that same table people who said, I'm so good, there's no need. I think probably in a room this size, there may be somebody here who says, I don't know if there's any hope for me. But there's probably also someone here say, I'm good. I'm good. It is in our human nature to want to be upright, upstanding before God, feeling as if we've contributed something to our salvation, something to our righteousness. Why? Because we want to have something to hold up that we've done 
That's why the gospel is so powerful and oftentimes so offensive because it tells us there's nothing we can offer to God that's good. Jesus is the only offering that God accepts for our sin. The only offering. There's nothing else we can offer to God but our faith in Christ. So what Jesus is doing at this table is something that I hope that you and I will take note of this morning. And I'm going to call you to four steps. Four steps. Um, Four action steps. All of them. Not just one of them, but four. Because here's what I want you to ask you to do. I want you to begin right now thinking about people that you know that need Jesus. They're the Levi's. They're the Matthew's. They may not be the Levi's or the Matthew's. They may be the Pharisees. They may be in a system of religion that is ritualistic and is pious, but you know, nonetheless, that it is not gospel, and so they need Christ. Who is that person? I'm going to ask you to do this. I want to ask you, if you will, we're, we're a church that believes in small groups. We just believe as we get bigger, we got to get smaller. We have to have small groups. And if you're not attached to a small group and involved in a small group and serving through a small group, then we believe you're not necessarily in the process of discipleship. And we want you in a small group, in a Bible study group. So during, here's the first step. During this Christmas season, there will be people who will come to the table at Christmas who ordinarily would not come to the table. We know this from experience. We know this from study that there are more people who will come to a church, to a service, or to an outreach at Christmas than even come during Easter. Imagine that. Imagine that. And two, we know that there are people who are far from God and they need to come meet Jesus. They don't need to come to our event. They need to come and meet Jesus. So our event is not the center attraction. Jesus Christ is at the head of the table. So the first step or first action step I'd like for all of us to think about taking is to support your outreach leaders and your Bible study group, uh, your Bible study group leader because they have planned an outreach for your Bible study group. And I want you not only to know when it is, but to invite others to come to it. Because at that event, at the table, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be shared. And there, at that event, your, your friends and your family members will get to hear what it means to know Jesus Christ. This is, a, this is kind of low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Hey, man, come to our party. Everybody likes a party. Come to our party. Can, hey, I don't, y'all are looking at me like you're thinking about it. Are you thinking about people? Or are you thinking about the party? Let's think about the party for a minute because I need to put a smile on your face. How many of you like a party? Listen, we, we ought to be able to party better than anybody in the world. I mean, we got real life. We got Christ at the party. I mean, we have the joy of the Lord. If there's anybody that ought to have a party, it's a Christian. That was a weak amen, but thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know who that was. No, no, no. You're weak. I need more amens than that, man. Come on. We got something to party about. More than Santa Claus, more than presents, more than liquor, more than goofy games. We got something. Come on, y'all. So I want, I want to ask you that. Secondly, you should have received in your seat a, a, an invitation like this. You can have as many as you want. But second step is to ask somebody to come to church with you during this Christmas season, with you. It's great that you can invite somebody you don't know, and you can do that. We're going to invite as many people as we can at Christmas because we want them to meet Jesus. Now, the church services are for the, for the church. Our worship services are planned for the church, but the church is for the world. So what we're asking people is, would you come with us? 
you, here, here's an easy way too, I like this, that you can actually share this on your phone. So man, full on, you can do it right now, no problem at all, pull out your phone, take this QR, go ahead and put it on whatever platform you want to, a personal invitation, text your friends during the service, hey, I'm at church, I can't wait for you to come be with me at Christmas, we're going to celebrate Christmas in a very special way, come be a part of our services during this month of November and December, especially at Christmas when we have our five Christmas services. We want to do our best to have people with us in this place as we talk about Jesus and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Uh, yeah, and, you, and put it on your Facebook, put it on Instagram, and some of you old school people put it on your MySpace, whatever. Thirdly, um, we need more groups, and we need groups to reach people that are far from God. More groups meet, reach more people, more Bible study groups. We need some, some of you to say, you know what? I've been called to teach. I've been called to lead. Let me step into a Bible study group. And then can I ask you, because some of you do a great job of this, even get better at making your group a place where sinners can come. Sinners can come. Well, sinners always feel welcome here. They should feel welcome by our love. They're going to be confronted with a message. But they should be cared about. And the first step in leading someone to Jesus Christ is loving them. Why would sinners, traitors, be attracted to Jesus? Because he was anything but those things. Man, he did not use their language. He did not partake in their activities. He was completely set aside from sin. And yet, sinners were attracted to him because he loved them. First step in leading people to Jesus is loving them. And so can I just ask you in your Bible study group to maybe step in if you're not a leader, if you're not here, you gotta be here early. You gotta be here on time. You gotta be there ready to welcome people, love people, even people that are here every week to just put your, put your arm around and say, I love you, glad you're here, welcoming each other, showing hospitality, and being ready to make room at the table in your group. We're not a church for us for no more. We're a church who loves Jesus. We want others to know him. We're not a church about us. We don't care what people say about our reputation necessarily. That matters. Our testimony is important. We're not a church, though, that says, hey, we're a great church. Come see all the great things we do. See all the great things we have. No, what we are and what we want to continue to be is a church who has a great Savior, Jesus Christ. Come meet our great Lord. Are you with me? That's what I want our Bible study groups to be about. Right? And you do too. You do too. Number four. This is just for you. This is more, that was three things that you can think about for our church. This is for you in your neighborhood. Can you make room at the table in your house for people who need to hear the truth about Jesus Christ? It might be your family. It might be your friends. It might be your neighbors that you invite into your house during Christmas. Maybe you've got it decorated, you've got the tree up, and you're like, hey, we need to share this with other people. Bring them into your house and share it with them, the good news of Christ. He said, man, pastor, I can do that. We can show hospitality. We can open up our home. We can have people at our table. We can have coffee with them. We can have cookies with them. We can have a meal with them. But you know, we can share Jesus with them. That's why we're going to do this. Some of you say, I could do that. I'd love to do that. But man, I'm not real confident sharing my, the gospel yet. Then you know what you can do? At least this time, you can invite somebody who is confident in sharing the gospel to come and share their testimony. 
around the table with people you love. You know what? You're going to have the opportunity to be in front of people at office parties, some of you own businesses, and you're going to be in front of your employees. You're going to be in front of people when you give a, a speech or some sort of thanksgiving. Don't ever hesitate to tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's room at the table for them. Why was Jesus called the great physician? Why was Jesus calling himself the great physician? Look at this text. Just kind of wrap it up here. Jesus said, I didn't come to call righteous but sinners. Why? I'm a doctor and I've come to care for those who are sick. When Jesus started his ministry, he started in his hometown, Nazareth. Nazareth. He'd been all over the place. He'd been doing miracles and casting out devils preaching the gospel. He came to his hometown, he preached the gospel, and people said to them, said to him, people in his own hometown said to him, hey, doctor, why don't you heal yourself? It was a proverb, physician, heal yourself. What that proverb was, was meaning was, was Jesus, you've done all these great works out there for everybody else. Why don't you do some great works for us? Why can't we see some miracles? Why can't we have a little bit of material blessing from you? There's a world around us. They're crying out that same thing at Christmas. They just don't know it. They're telling God, God, why don't, why don't you do something for us? Why don't you do something to make our lives better? Why, why don't you answer our prayer? What they don't know that they really need, what they really don't know that they really need is a heart transplant. They, they, don't, need, they don't need another gadget. They, they don't need a raise. They don't even need what they think is right in front of them, what they're praying about necessarily. People who are far from God need one thing. They need to be saved. They need their sin forgiven. They need Jesus. I believe that, y'all. My God is a good God. He gives us incredible blessings. There's so many blessings that we're going to count this week at Thanksgiving. We're going to say, thank you, God. We're going to count and we're going to say, thank you, God. We're going to count and we're going to say, thank you, God. We're going to count and we're going to say, thank you, God. But there is one need that every sinner has, and that is to be saved. I believe that. That's why I'm asking. And I believe that you already know. I'm asking what you already know, to invite sinners to the table so they can have their greatest need met by Dr. Jesus, who can give them a new heart. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have given us a time to be in your word and even, Lord, to think about how we live out this text. God, we, there are many ways to live it out, more than I certainly have gone over today, but God, help us at least to be thinking about those who are far from you and invite them to your banquet, to your table. They might partake of Christ and, Lord, forever be changed. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?